0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. Uh, I'm your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Pac Pennsylvania. I am so glad that you've clicked play on this episode and that you're joining me with, on another sort of discussion and uh, just conversation about. Uh, life and ministry and uh, truth and hope and grace and all those great things. And uh, we can kind of just sit down and uh, chat together uh, about what God is showing us in this present life. Um, And that's what I hope to do today. I'm just going to kind of reflect on a lot of things that have been happening lately. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, This month of August has been I hate to just overuse the term the the term crazy busy. Uh I think can get overused, overdone a lot of times and I don't I don't mean to do that and I don't even mean to pontificate about how busy I am. <laughs> um but this month has been really busy for us as a church, for us as a family. Uh there's been a lot going on. Uh as of right now, whenever you're listening to this uh particular podcast this week, um The last couple weeks I've been super busy at my church. Uh, We've done vacation Bible school. We had an outdoor tent revival meeting uh, on the weekend. We've had a church picnic. We've had lots of stuff going on. Uh, And I'm just so thrilled that this is where we are. Um, as a church, I've been really excited that we can finally get back to being busy ministerially. <laughs> uh, I coined a, a phrase a, a couple months ago when we had a similarly sort of busy season as a church, uh, this sort of beautifully exhausting Uh, sort of time of ministry. And I think that that's exactly what we've been going through lately. Beautifully exhausting. Um, I think that's what ministry is, Um, that there's a sense in which – Ministry can be tiresome, but there's a beauty in it because of what you're able to do and and see and witness. Uh, We witnessed uh, several people come to the altar uh, during the uh, revival meetings uh, that happened last week, and so that was just a huge blessing just to see people respond to the call of the gospel. We saw two uh, young kids uh, make professions of faith um, during our vacation Bible school, and that is the whole reason why we're doing it at all. So uh, that's kind of what makes it all worth it uh, in the, in the end when you are sitting down at the end of the day and you are dead dog tired and, um, you, and you realize what has God done? He has brought people into his family, brought people into his kingdom. Uh, and not necessarily because of you, but it's through you. And I think that that's what makes ministry so um, exciting and important and uh, What a privilege uh, that you and I get to be a part of that. So we've been going through that uh, in our church. I don't know what, if you are involved in a church, if you're a pastor, if you're uh, just a church member, wherever you are, uh, maybe perhaps you've gone through a similar season this summer. Uh, and I'm just really thankful that that we have been able to, um, uh, we've been able to be beautifully exhausted uh, with the ministry we've been able to uh, see take place. Um, so in light of all that, there's a couple of things that I wanted to sort of chat about. Um, I'm linking uh, in the notes to the show, um, the sermons that I've been preaching recently. I'm just going to kind of briefly overview them and you can kind of uh, investigate them further. I'm not going to do a, a super uh, in-depth dive on those uh, this morning. Um, uh, and then I'm going to talk about some books I'm reading, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to just briefly talk about sermons, briefly talk about books, and then I'm just going to talk about some other articles that I found super beneficial that I hope that you uh, can benefit from as well. I'm going to read um, some extensive excerpts, so hopefully that doesn't bother you, <laughs> um, uh, but in hopefully it doesn't bother the writers, <laughs> um, uh, but I've, I've found them so Uh, so incredibly impactful recently so I want to do that Uh, but before we get to all that uh, here's uh, some commercials uh, or a commercial Uh, so uh, sit through the commercials and then we'll be back Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world fresh roasted usda certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of gmos and harmful synthetic substances fresh roasted coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability that's what i like I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it Fresh Roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Okay, a couple weeks ago, uh, the sermon that I preached uh, at the church picnic uh, was taken from a bunch of different passages, but it was precisely uh, a theme that I wanted to draw out, which is the fact that God reveals himself— and reveals his plan of redemption on mountaintops. And so uh, you can go to uh, that sermon and hear it. I think it was really impactful for me, just studying it, reading it, and just sort of seeing this theme, how uh, God uses different mountaintop experiences, if you will, to sort of reveal his his strategy of salvation, his plan of redemption. Uh, And so we highlighted Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, and we highlighted um, uh, Mount Calvary in Luke 23. And we highlighted Mount the Mount of Olives in Matthew 28, and just kind of walked through how the mountains reveal God's plans, God promises in the way that God pursues His children and wants to reveal um, His uh, covenant promises with them and for them. Uh, And to be sure, this is just this was a really brief overview of, uh, I think, a, a a more in-depth study that I think is necessary, which is just all of the mountains that are listed and uh, recorded in Scripture and just what happens on them. In fact, this past Sunday, uh, we'll get into this now, um, I preached on Mount Carmel and just how um, Elijah and the contest that he has with the prophets of Baal on that mountain reveal who God is. They reveal that this is a God who is an all-consuming fire who meets his people's needs and reminds them who he is. And And we're going to get into, in the weeks to come, at my church in First Kings 19, uh, Elijah at Mount Horeb. So there's lots of mountains, again, just going back to uh, the other sermon, there's lots of mountains in Scripture that um, reveal... Who God is, and and this is just indicative of Scripture itself. Uh, I have an essay coming out that is based off that sermon, uh, the Mountainous Gospel of God, where I go into more in depth on that, talking about the biblical patterns that kind of reveal uh, who God is, and that's that's the pattern of Scripture uh, that each page is revealing more hues and more uh, colors, if you will, about this God of the Bible. And so this is just one of the ways that he does that. He does that through geography. (laughs) He does that through people. He does that through circumstances, seasons. He does that through very much divine intervention. So there's lots of ways that God reveals himself to his people. And it just happens that one of them is he does this on mountains. So uh, I encourage you to listen to that sermon. Also listen to this past Sunday's sermon in which again yes I preached on Elijah the miracle at Mount Carmel and that awesome contest uh, to me I just couldn't escape how uh, the um the dichotomy between Elijah and the prophets of Baal um it, to me it was just so emblematic of the God of the Bible um, sort of revealing himself and those who would profess to believe in him. And so we just talked about religion. We talked about how the religion of Christianity is not a frenzied, panicked religion. It's a religion of peace and faithfulness and resolve. And and so anyways, we talked about those things, which I think are so mom- momentous in that particular passage. Um, and again, you may think of that passage as... About the awesome miracle that Elijah calls down, uh, I think it's more about the revelation of the God who is so present in that passage, so really that 's the angle I took and so hopefully that impacts you uh, as we talk uh, as I talked and, and 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 preached about the nature of Christian religion from that amazing passage uh, which is almost always um, Cited as Elijah's sort of uh, penultimate victory. So, anyways, go listen to that. I encourage you to do that. On Friday, though, in between both those sermons, I was so thrilled with the opportunity to uh, preach at the outdoor tent revival meeting. Uh, this was something that has been building up um, in our area. Uh, this this sort of call for revival, and so uh, a local pastor friend of mine, a local ministry friend of mine. Um, got together with several other churches and, um, sort of did what they could to put on a tent revival and, um, see if we could get people to come and get people to, um, um, just come and hear the word preached, hear Jesus proclaimed. And so I was thrilled to be able to preach on the Friday sermon. I preached from Mark chapter 10 and the rich young ruler and just about the, <laughs> How uh, strong the message of the gospel is that um, you can 't get into heaven with by your perfection uh, you are the only way we get to heaven is by the perfection of another and I think that 's really what that passage is showing and saying and uh, I, I, I hope that uh, many people were impacted uh, through that particular message and that the truth of God was revealed i 'll tell you a little uh, story. <laughs> I was incredibly nervous for that particular sermon. I'd never really preached an outdoor sort of tent meeting before. I did a couple of weeks ago in July. That was a much smaller venue. Uh, this one was much uh, sort of bigger in terms of its scope and its intent. Um, no pun intended. Um, but I was incredibly nervous going into that particular evening. And man, I just prayed so hard, um, before I walked up to deliver, um, that message. And I think what shows, (laughs) I don't mean to sort of, uh, brag about myself. I'm not, I'm, I'm not meaning that at all. Hopefully that's not coming across by what I'm saying, but I don't think I've ever preached a sermon where I felt more, um, in line with the Holy Spirit. Um, and really, I, <laughs> it was such a powerful moment. I was so dependent on the Holy Spirit that I don't, I didn't preach as long as I nearly expected to. I, I expected to preach much longer. I, I preached for only, you know, maybe about 25 minutes. Um, But I was just, I, I just felt really full. I just felt really uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit during that, that time. And I was just I was blown away by just what, what God, it, and that seems so silly, um, that I was blown away by what God can do through a Holy Spirit empowered, empowered, uh, preacher, but <laughs> that's what was happening. Uh, I just was so full and I was so thankful that I was able to do that. Just get up and preach about Jesus. That's, that's more than i ever want <laughs> i mean that, that i should say it probably better that's all i ever want is i just want to preach about jesus and so that's what i was able to do so go listen to that too hopefully you'll you'll find that beneficial and uh, you'll find that really encouraging uh i hope at, at least um uh so yeah go listen to those sermons um thank you for listening and for any sort of notes of, of encouragement and blessing that you found through uh those sermons as we reflect on them and uh, hopefully you can keep finding those beneficial in the days to come. Uh I'm reading two books well I'm reading I'm reading a lot more than two books. Um but I want to highlight two books uh that I'm going through One that I finished. So I finished The Christ Key, which I'm going to link. This is Chad Bird. He writes for 1517, which I'm really thankful to write for 1517, too. Um, But... uh, he wrote this book all about how Christ is the key if you will to unlocking the old testament and lo- unlocking its understanding unlocking its hermeneutic unlocking how to make sense of some really weird passages i got to tell you i've read a couple other books uh on this particular theme of late um this one was one of the best uh i would say it's 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 really it's It's pretty remarkable what Chad accomplishes throughout this book because he overviews a ton of Old Testament passages, and from a lot of different angles too uh he approaches it you know from uh type like you know uh, talking about types in the Old Testament to talking about metaphors to talking about illusions to talking about fulfillment and prophecy and all those sorts of things, and just shows how the bible is is layered with Christ and that there's uh a ton um, excuse me while I get the other book, uh, a ton of different layers to how, uh, Christ reveals or how God reveals his plan of redemption. Kind of going back to what we were talking about, about the mountains. Um, th- that's very much, uh, something that Chad mentions in his book, just the layers of revelation in God's book of revelation, which is the scriptures. So highly recommend the Christ key. It's, it's granular. It's in-depth, and he talks about a ton of scripture, but he does it in such an accessible way that I don't think you'll be turned off by by how—he doesn't even get academic. I shouldn't even say that. He gets—he just gets uh, scriptural. <laughs> he gets expositional. He talks about um, how—he uh, talks about so many different passages and just reveals so eloquently how Christ is— uh, in the middle of all of them and how these passages are revolving all around the revelation of jesus so i've been really thankful for that book highly recommend it i have a review coming out soon on it so be watching for that uh and i'll talk more about it then but um, the other book i want to highlight is one that i picked up Recently, by Christopher Ash, it's entitled "Trusting God in the Darkness: A Guide to Understanding the Book of Job," and really, this is a a a condensed version of his larger book, um, which I'm trying to find what it's called. Yeah, he has a full-length Christopher Ash has a fuller commentary called "Job: The Wisdom of the Cross," Um, and this is a a much smaller sort of overview uh, talking about just sort of how to understand the troubled subject matter of the book of Job. If you've ever read Job, there can be either confused interpretations or I would say, Two simplistic interpretations of the grief and the trauma and the suffering that happens throughout that book. And so Christopher Ash sort of takes that approach and says, we need to sit in the grief that Job is sitting in and sort of seek to understand um, and seek to get into his shoes, if you will. And I think that will reveal a really spectacular image of who God is who the God who meets us in, uh, in the darkness and so uh, I I found it to be super informative um, very very readable uh, this book um, trusting God in the darkness it's not it's not hard to read at all I highly recommend anyone to read it if you're not like an expositor um, I think it's beneficial I'm, I'm only about halfway through and I could say that if you're a preacher this would be a good way to get a a gist of the book. Uh, I definitely am planning on picking up his larger commentary just because I feel like I would um, use that perhaps a little bit more if I was doing like a sermon series, but this is a good book to read if you're just trying to get like the gist of something, if you will, so... Anyways, uh, I want to highlight that book because it's been really impactful to me lately. So, Trusting God in the Darkness, there's a link in the notes uh, for for that book too. So, make sure you pick that up. Um, okay, so what has been helpful? Uh, for me, uh, I want to talk about two different articles that sort of talk about deconstructionism, but I think they also have similar themes to this idea of sensationalism. And I'm going to get, I'm gonna, I'll, 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 hopefully connect all those things in a moment. But I want to say that I don't feel compelled. You know, there's a sense, (laughs) there's a, um, there's, I would say, a trope, uh, a trait in a lot of online writers, bloggers, thinkers, if you will. And I don't consider myself like a thinker or philosopher in any sense of the term. I'm just a preacher who has a blog, <laughs> because I have to think out loud somewhere, um, I don't feel compelled always to get a an article out about the topic at hand. Um, I think there's sometimes where I get into that mode and I have to really discipline myself and remind myself that I'm not a... Articulator of the times. I don't have to look at the headline news and apply it to the Bible or apply the Bible to it in a way in which I'm always coming out with a new think piece about whatever is, you know, hitting everyone's news feeds. I think there's times where I've done that, and perhaps you can go back in the archives of this podcast and even, you know, point out to the ways that I've done that. And, you know, sometimes I do it because I feel compelled to, Um, other times I don't do it because. I don't. (laughs) Um, I I say all that to say, I don't feel compelled to write about the situation in Afghanistan that's currently still going on. Um, There's a lot of different things we can go (laughs) uh, about that particular subject, all of which I think would just (sighs) make us perhaps frustrated, make us perhaps grieved, and rightly so. The task of articulating um, Christian faith uh, regarding the Afghanistan debacle has already been taken up by several others who are way more eloquent than me, so I don't feel particularly compelled to comment on it. Um, I do just want to say, number one, pray for the kingdom of God in Afghanistan I think one of the things that's been so impactful for me lately is just this whole notion that the kingdom of God is not just here with me in Stonington Baptist Church in Paxtonville, Pennsylvania. Yes, definitely we are an outpost of that kingdom. I think that's what's amazing is that we as the local church, as we are functioning as the local church, preaching the word, uh, uh, sort of participating in um, the sacraments, and we are seeking to disciple other people and baptize them into the kingdom. We are functioning as a kingdom outpost, but the kingdom does not stop on us. The kingdom is huge, the kingdom is large, the kingdom is vast, the kingdom is global. God's church is a global church. Yeah, there are local assemblies of that church that meet local people's needs, but the church universal is one that God has his eye on, that Christ has has his hand on, and he has his hand on the church in Afghanistan, too. And I think what's needed now more than ever is the prayers of God's people to, number one, remember that there's grave suffering and persecution happening in in places that we don't conscien- consciously think of. There is... A lot that's, that happens in our world that we often don't reflect on because we're too busy or that it doesn't really affect us. And yeah, shame on us. Uh, we don't often think of the persecution that happens on the other side of the world. But now more than ever, pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through persecution. <laughs> So many people wanted to say that the Church of America was persecuted. And, you know, to, I, I'm not going to get into that. The the politics of what's happened in this pandemic can be construed as persecution. Um, I, that's for another time. That's for another discussion. I would say what's happening right now in Afghanistan is what we talk about when it, when the the, per, the church is persecuted. People fleeing for their lives because of what's going on over there in the Middle East. And so pray for your church. Uh, Pray for your brothers and sisters that um, are redeemed by the same blood of Jesus that you are. Uh, Yes, you've never met them, you've never fellowship with them, but they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, So, uh, I'm not going to address the politics. That's beyond my purview. (laughs) I'll say this, though. One thing that has struck me more than anything else is that when situations like this happen, when events that occur on a global scale are happening right in front of our very eyes and we see them, uh, and we're in, in, in the moment, we can feel as if this. Well, let me just say it this way uh, so a couple of weeks ago. A while ago, I wrote a, a an article on my blog called "Camouflaged Sovereignty and Concern for God's Word." I'm linking it in the notes because, uh, number one, I think it's very relevant to where we are, uh, even still now. It was an article that was born out of my studies of First and Second Kings, which again I'm currently examining on Sunday mornings. But in that piece, I wrote the following sort of um, sentences. I wrote this, quote, far too often we sensationalize our times as though we're living in the most crucial moment in the history of the world. And if we don't get this right, we are spelling the ruination of our entire human race. Christians are especially prone to this attitude, as if the establishment of the heavenly, heavenly kingdom is riding on our shoulders. In short, it's not. And I go on to articulate just in that particular passage that there are sometimes moments in history that we sensationalize. We are slaves to our moment. We are slaves to what is occurring all around us. I would definitely say social media has a, colored our view of the present in a lot of ways. And And what I mean by that is when catastrophes happen, and 1000%, this is a tragedy, a catastrophe of humanity, <laughs> of politics of uh, a lot of different things over there in afghanistan but let me just say this um we need not color our moment in apocalyptic hues and i think we're so prone to do that um Maybe this is just me. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you're, you're looking at all that's been going on in the world over the last 24 odd months and you're like, yeah, this is nothing normal or, or this is, um, nothing unusual. Um, but I would say that I think at times we sensationalize whatever we're going through as this is the worst it could ever be. This is the worst it's ever been. And I would say, number one, that that's, Markedly false when you look at history, and I would also say that number two, uh, this is where faith comes into play, and I don't mean as that. I, I don't. Hopefully, this is not coming across as glib or as dismissive or anything. I'm just saying this. There, <laughs> let's go back. I just have so many thoughts. Um. I just think of that conversation with uh, Frodo and Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. And let me see if I can pull it up really quickly, because (laughs) um, I just love how he speaks in that moment. So this comes from the the, the book, The Lord of the Rings, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. And this is in um, Frodo and Gandalf's conversation, and they're talking about the ring. They're talking about you know all of those things that are happening about this ring, the movement of evil, the 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 progressive sort of state that evil has now come to, to uh, to sort of uh, occur in Frodo's lifetime. And Frodo complains, "Quote: I wish it need not have happened in my time," said Frodo, meaning he doesn't. He wishes with all of his might that the ring, that this this really bad thing that has happened in his lifetime, didn't happen in his lifetime. And then Gandalf gives a, a sermon. And yeah, this is um a, a fictional f- sort of uh sort of uh, fairy tale book. Um, but it very much is a sermon because Gandalf says, "So do I. And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us." And that to me uh is where we are. Um in history, in our present moment, we don't get to choose the time that we get to live. Um, um, we don't get to choose where, where, what moment of history we get to that we have to live through. God is the arbiter of the times, not us. Uh, we, as Gandalf says, just have to decide what we're going to do with the time that's given to us. I say all that to say. Um. don't sensationalize our moment as if this is the end of the world maybe it is I don't know people have been thinking for ages that we are living in the end times and I would say we definitely are in the end times where we are on that timeline I have no idea and I cannot tell you exactly where And I would say if anyone wants to claim where we are on sort of the timeline of the end of all things, they are grossly mistaken. Uh, No one knows. Again, Jesus never gives us uh, the insight to say this is when things will happen and how they'll happen. The apostles repeatedly ask Jesus for the timing of the end of all things. And he says, over and over again. That's not for you to know. What is your duty? Watch and pray. Go to Mark 13. Go to Matthew 24. Go to Acts chapter 1. What does he say to them? Be my witnesses. Watch and pray. That's what we are given to do in this particular moment, in this particular time. Um, I would say it's easier said than done. Um, cause, and what I want to get into now is it's not just what we see on the world scene. So we hear about wars, rumors of wars, you know, the quote from Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse. We hear about, uh, all the political scandal, but it's even within our own sort of Christian body, if you will. Um, you hear about people falling away. You hear about people deconverting. You hear about this new notion of deconstructionism. We sensationalize our moments precisely because we feel this pressure that, you know, the world is entering, the church is fracturing, and everyone is going their own way. And I, this is the theme of a recent essay by Samuel James. Uh, he wrote entitled, The Rot of Evangelicalism Doesn't Need Deconstruction, It Needs Church History, which, again, what first of all, is an amazing title, but also, listen to these words, uh, because I think this this goes to you know, what's going on on the world scene with politics and, and, and uh, global economies and uh, wars and all that kind of stuff. It speaks to um, what we need in, in that sphere. But I think also it speaks to our sphere in the church as well. So listen to what Samuel writes. He says, quote, one of the things that puts, excuse me, quote, one of the thing that most puts the church out of step with the modern spirit is that it has an intractable rear facing nature when i say the church is rear-facing i mean that christians are radically historical we are constantly looking back two thousand and three thousand years to see how the acts of god reveal him we are constantly confessing the person and work of someone who lived in antiquity we are constantly reciting creeds and confessions that were written hundreds and even thousands of years ago If there is any lesson whatsoever to learn from the history of contemporary evangelicalism, it is that the health of both an individual Christian and a church directly depends not on radical novelty, but on radical continuity with the past. When we pause the tyranny of the present moment and reflect on God's work through his people throughout the ages, we are forced to see realities that will constrain us in ways that promote faithfulness and cut against our worst tendencies. To the extent that we silo ourselves in the tyranny of the moment, not only will we fail to build up consciences to remain faithful in the chaos, we will almost certainly lend our hand to the novel devices and strategies that mean well, but will land us right back where we started. (laughs) End quote. This is, (laughs) this to me is so, so entirely poignant. What Samuel's talking about, this idea that we walk into the future backwards, facing facing backwards. We are constantly looking back to the cross as a way to describe and, and color our present. We don't look to the future in fear and worry and frenzy and panic. We look to the cross and realize, and I would say we look to the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus' passion and death and resurrection. And we realize and we recognize in faith how that colors and affects our our present. That's what he's getting at when we when he says that we keep looking back two thousand years ago to help us administer uh, and and manage the present. And I think um, all of this uh, this comes to a head with this you know supposed emergent church movement that happened, and I think that has kind of fallen away, which. Was entirely pitted as a a, a response to the failures of the church's past by being just another uh, sort of movement in the long list of those who were sort of bent on momentary solutions uh, for the church's longevity, if you will. Uh, That's really how you could describe the emergent church. It was it was something that was meant to be a response to the past by focusing on the problems of the present and actually as Samuel says uh, we we don't that's that's not how the church functions the church functions by constantly going back to what God has accomplished in past history and saying it is just as true now and actually this is what Samuel continues to write and he says quote the emerging church was itself an attempt to reconstruct a decrepit evangelicalism it ultimately became part of the problem why I believe one answer is that the entire movement was based on a story. It told itself about the unique demands of the times. Instead of being rear-facing, it was front-facing, trying to solve problems by finding novel solutions and asserting a unique rather than shared character. And now, in 2021, we are all captive audiences to our dramatic podcast about how the emerging church's most famous and successful pioneer became himself what we are calling part of the unprecedented problem. There is a better way, Samuel continues. Evangelicals who are broken by the sinful betrayals around them should not look not to deconstruct, but to connect, to see their story and the story of the church historic. We should not commend people's blowing up of their faith. We should commend a clear-eyed embrace of the faith that has been assailed from within since ancient times, and we should insist on understanding our story in 2021 as part of the wider story of the church. We should be rear-facing, not insisting on the uniqueness of the times or the unprecedented nature of our challenges, but on the commonality of these experiences and the pre- repeated proven faithfulness of God through millennia of them. End quote. This, <laughs> this is exactly what I was trying to get at and saying when we sensationalize our moment, we are at that particular time sort of jettisoning God's faithfulness in the past and saying that this moment is so unlike any other time in history, that God has never seen something like this, that the church has never endured something like this. When in reality, what we can say is that with a rear-facing faith— we understand that there is a faithful providence of god that is unperturbed by the times that is un uh, unmoved by the the grief of our present moment I, this this is so important uh, on a granular level, the podcast that Samuel was referring to, by the way, is that recent Christianity Today investigative podcast entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which chronicled the very troubled legacy, as you might know, of Mars Hill Church and its very notorious pastor, Mark Driscoll, who famously fell away and, you know, he he started other churches um, uh, for the record. But um, it's... I... <sighs> I have a love-hate relationship with that podcast, by the way, um, <clears throat> because there's a lot to glean from that show, um, which presented a lot of harsh realities of of, of how a, a church and why a church like Mars Hill fell so quickly and publicly and scandalously, if you will. But um, that show definitely had a particular bent and bias, um, and I would say – Reflecting on the episodes, it's a show that definitely seemed more interested in sort of, you know, relaying all the problems without presenting any kind of solution, uh, for whatever, you know, plagued a church like Mars Hill. It was more, you know, it felt very sort of like I was watching a Netflix documentary about a murderer, you know, you know, those are all the rage nowadays on Netflix. And, um, so it it didn't really feel like here's a problem in the church and here's how we can address it. It was more like here's all the problems. Um, so uh, sidebar: re- I have a, linked in the in the show notes um, a gospel or not a gospel an article over on the website for the gospel uh, that was written by Jesse Randolph, entitled "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill: Compliments and Cautions." And in that article, he sort of highlight some of these sort of love-hate things that he has with the show, The Good and the Bad. Uh, so I highly recommend you read it. But that's the podcast that he's talking about. And I think what happens in moments like these, when we see pastors like Driscoll's ilk, they fall away and they end up uh, causing so much turbulence in the church and people's lives. And then when you hear about other people deconstructing and deconverting from their faith, there's this moment in which we lose sense of... Of the long and storied history of the church, and we say that this is the great falling away, that this is something that the church has never seen before. And I would say that <laughs> uh, I don't think so. This is something that the church has a lot of um, has a lot of grace for this is something that the church itself should be familiar with because people falling away um, from the church and from the faith has always been something that has happened in the church. It has always been indicative of human nature. It has always been something that we have had to deal with. Paul deals with it constantly in his letters. (laughs) And I would say all of that Leads us to, <laughs> I think, one of the most important things. Um, w- w- I would say the thing that you should remember more than anything else. And I think I've mentioned this before, and I, and, I, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but let me just say this. Despite all of the global chaos, despite all of the ecclesiastical chaos, Wars, scandals, falling away, doubts, rumors, deconstructions. God's word is the only word that matters. That, I think, is what is so indicative of these movements of deconstructionism, of sensationalism, of saying... That, you know, this is the apocalypse and all those sorts of things is an abandonment of God's word. And I would say again, God's word is the only word that matters. If you have been feeling so perturbed, so unsettled, so displaced, so disillusioned by all the news, by The scandals that have just weighed heavily on the church. Go to the Word. Go to God's revealed Word alone, which it doesn't explain everything but you know what it does it gives us hope and glory it gives us certainty it gives us resolve it gives us peace when all else falls away god's word is steady and sure hebrews 6:19 calls it an anchor for the soul an anchor that's steadfast and sure yes even when there are those who are presumptuously saying that this is the worst it's ever been, who are fear-mongering so many different headlines and saying this is how everything ends. Let me tell you, there is a provident God who knows the ends before the beginnings and he is the god that is still your god even now his power hasn't waned his power hasn't diminished his his providence his sovereignty his authority hasn't been changed by any uh small degree He is the God of all things, the God of all glory, the God of all grace, the God of all power. He is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, and he is here right now for you, and we commune with him, yes, through the assembly of the saints, but also through the reading of his word. My friends, go to the word, the word of God, the scriptures because that's the only word that matters. No one else's does. Not even my words that are coming through to you now through this podcast. <laughs> they don't matter nearly as much as what God's word says. Let God, God's word alone be your be your boast, be your glory. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Ministry Minded Podcast. I hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this show. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Ministry Minded Podcast. You can do that wherever you find your podcast or like to listen to them. Uh, Thank you, as always, for your comments, for your support, for your uh, notes of encouragement. I will see you on the next episode. Have a blessed day.